Major issues facing voters ahead of this year's midterms. Record high inflation, abortion rights, and the ongoing war in Ukraine. Today we'll talk one-on-one with Indiana Representative Victoria Sparks and with her opponent in this year's midterm, Janine Lake. Plus, new calls to crack down on gun violence and hate speech after the mass shooting in Buffalo. It's all ahead now on this week's edition of In Focus. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Dan Spieler. This week, lawmakers will be briefly back in session at the State House, where they're expected to overturn Governor Holcomb's veto on the transgender sports bill. But the governor is also facing pressure to allow lawmakers to enter a special session dealing with the state's gas tax in the midst of the inflation we're all experiencing right now. And it's certainly one of the big issues on the minds of voters this midterm election year with the record-breaking high prices bringing all-time low approval ratings for President Biden, who's also dealing with this supply chain issue we've all been facing, now impacting families in need of baby formula in the midst of this latest shortage. Republicans certainly see an opportunity at the ballot box this year on these issues and others, with polls showing the GOP likely to make big gains. But who will lead that charge for Republicans? Establishment candidates or candidates backed by former President Trump? This past week, a number of big primaries that could shape the future of the party this year, including a close Senate primary in Pennsylvania that's likely headed to a recount. Overall, mixed results for the former president. Some of his endorsed candidates won. Some of them this past week lost including North Carolina Congressman Madison Cawthorn, Dr. Oz, and that recount in Pennsylvania. All of this as some on the right are facing tough questions after a racially motivated shooting killed 10 people in Buffalo. Liz Cheney, among others, blaming party leaders and other conservative voices for, quote, enabling white nationalism, white supremacy, and anti-Semitism, in Cheney's words. Here's President Biden in Buffalo this past week. The ideology of white supremacy has no place in America. None. What happened here is simple and straightforward. Terrorism. The president this week also dealing with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Congress approved another $40 billion aid package Thursday to help the people of Ukraine. Senator Todd Young voted for that bill. Senator Mike Braun voted against it. In a statement, Braun says he supports Ukraine, but says he can't support spending more money overseas in light of inflation and high gas prices here at home. Indiana Congresswoman Victoria Sparts had called for additional aid for Ukraine. She's the first Ukrainian-born member of Congress. And this week, she spoke with our Kristen Eskow about her recent trips to Ukraine, her response to the crisis, and other big issues in the news. When you look at the suffering, it just breaks your heart. But when you go and see it in person, it's just unbelievable. Congresswoman Victoria Sparts back from her third trip to Ukraine since Russian troops first invaded in February. Sparts grew up in Ukraine and called the country her home until 2000 when she immigrated to the U.S. I probably have a much uh, more, you know, deeper perspective about what's happening there and I can be an asset on a bipartisan basis to my colleagues to really for us to have right policies because all of us want to stop this you know, nightmare. The latest way lawmakers are trying to do that is a $40 billion aid package. Sparks feels this most recent round of assistance better addresses the security and military needs of Ukraine compared to previous legislation. If you look at the last package from 13.6 
billion, only a couple billion were given to help with Ukraine to defend the country with security assistance. This week, Sparts co-chaired a classified House Oversight Committee hearing to find out how those funds have been distributed. She considers the U.S. response so far more reactive than proactive, though she's pleased to see the recent actions that have been taken. It's important for us to understand that the cost of inaction is going to be so material and destabilize not just Ukraine, but the whole world with blocking ports and everything else. It's a very serious situation. You've been in the news a lot lately talking about Ukraine. You were also in the news recently in a Politico report about your workplace environment. Are you concerned about the impact this could have on an election year? And, and what do you say to voters who have concerns about it? Well, I think, you know, I should have a great office and, you know, I have a lot of people, but I have a different style and I need to make sure, you know, I need to have a people that want to work with me in a fast paced environment, deliver quick results. You know, I'm, as I said, I'm not planning to be a lifetime politician. I want to do a great job for the Republic and then go drink champagne on the beach, you know? I mean, this is, and to do that, I need to have people that want to work with the same pace. You have to have a team that is in sync with you and want to really work long hours like I do. So does that mean you don't plan to make any changes to the way you run your office? Well, I made the changes and I think that what I have is great. You know, it works for me great. I have a much more operations in the district and I have more executive level advisory team in DC. It works better for me. It takes a little time to understand what you need, right? You know, I was new to the office. Now I understand what I need, what works the best for me. So it was a perfect time for me to, to revamp some things. And, you know, I had a lot of good people on the team. It's just maybe just a different fit and they have a different style. But there is a lot of politics and DC writes a lot of stuff. So it's okay. You know, it's just, you know, it's okay. DC can write stuff. I don't, I, that doesn't bother me. People dying in our country, not secured border, bad economy. That bothers me. Washington, D.C. politics and BS, what they're right, honestly, I don't care. Finally, I wanted to ask you about abortion. Some Republicans in Washington say if Roe is overturned, they'd like to see a federal ban on abortion. Do you want to see Congress pass a federal ban on abortion in that scenario? And if so, should there be any exceptions in cases of rape, incest, or the mother's life being at risk? Well, I think, you know, this issue is going to be politicized, unfortunately. We just had a hearing in Judiciary Committee, and I think it's a very dangerous to politicize the Supreme Court and put pressure, activist pressure on justices, because we are set up as a republic, you know, where we have, you know, constitutional rights and ultimate decisions on constitutional rights done by the court. And if something is not within constitution, you know, we either have constitutional amendments or states have to make these decisions. So I think this is an issue that has to be decided by the court. And then you will have a situation where you have some conservative states, you know, you, you have some liberal states. And I think, you know, people will have choices what to do. So if Roe is overturned, you believe that abortion law should be left to the states to decide, not necessarily Congress? Well, that's what that law does. It's the Supreme Court is going to do that. I am not a justice. I am a legislator. Supreme Court is going to do it. But the, ultimately, the, it goes to the states, you know, and the states will have these decisions to make. All right, this year, Sparts will face Democrat Janine Lake in the November election. Lake has run for Congress before in the 6th District. This year, after redistricting, she's now in the 5th District. And in an early, in interview earlier this week, she's talking very candidly about her personal experience with abortion and also about the opponent she's trying to unseat. You can't really invite people to come in into your uh, homes and into your city and into your county 
if you've got a reputation, unfortunately, even amongst um, their own party and Republicans of being a person that's hard to get along with. But honestly, you know, the Chamber of Commerce is looking not only for development opportunities, economic opportunities, they're looking for good people to represent their company and the state. Uh, you're referencing, no doubt, the recent report in, in Politico. Um, I, I, I want to ask you about abortion as well. It's likely to be a big issue in this year's midterms. Some Republicans have been discussing the possibility of a federal ban on abortion. Your opponent wasn't very specific on this, but generally said it's an issue that should be left to the states. But some others, including Todd Rokita, have expressed support for a total abortion ban, including cases of rape. And, and you spoke very personally here in recent days about your own experiences with date rape and abortion. What's your reaction to some of those calls for further restrictions if Roe is in fact overturned by the courts? Well, they're just really startling and shocking uh, that in 2022, we're having the same conversations that they had 50 years ago. Roe versus Wade was, uh, you know, uh, supported uh, in 1973. Um, It's a Supreme Court issue. It's been settled. It's something that in my opinion, and in my personal experience, really is not an issue that belongs in the belongs in the courts. It doesn't belong in in, in Congress, Senate, uh, the House of Representatives. This is a very, very personal and deep issue. And I did write uh, on my social media recently about it, Dan. Um, and I wrote about my own personal experience. I went to Ball State as a 17-year-old, a good Christian girl, and I had high hopes to become a journalist. Um, and uh, while I was there, you know, I'm, I'm the daughter of a pastor, just really wanting a degree and a good education, and a very violent situation happened to me, put me into an emotional tailspin. I found myself pregnant as a teenager, uh, trying to navigate life, um, and I'd already had one traumatic experience as a child, uh, with child molestation. So I'd just gotten over that as 14 year old and then 17, 18, when this happened to me. And, uh, you know, for me and for my family, it was a decision that, that we made um, that was, you know, through prayer and counseling even. And I feel as if for me, it gave me a chance to recruit, regroup, recover and restore. And that was 30, you know, it was what, 18 years old, 17, 18 years old at the time. And so, you know, I had that choice. Um, and I, I look at, you know, people in those same traumatic type of it, uh, situations. And for me, quite honestly, I would want them to have that choice today. I think it's, it does not belong with any senator or congressperson. It belongs with each and, each and every family and their doctor. Do you, do you think this is going to be a galvanizing issue at the polls this year for, for women, for pro-choice Democrats? Or do you think people are overall more concerned about the economy, inflation, and high gas prices, as some polls have suggested? Well, I do think that, that, that mainly they're concerned about the, about the almighty dollar <laughs> and the fact that they do have those concerns. However, it is, it is something that I actually believe is going to be a, a game changer when it comes to the midterms. Typically, midterms are you know, not necessarily uh, you know, driving people to the polls. But I believe that this time, I believe that, that women are coming uh, that, may, may, that may normally not have voted in a midterm. All right, coming up next on this week's edition of In Focus, we'll talk with our panel about what to expect at the State House this week. The governor facing a veto override and facing pressure to do something about the state's gas tax. And later, Congress looking into UFOs with an Indiana lawmaker leading that discussion. Stick around. We'll be right back after this. 
Welcome back. Our panel's here now to discuss this week's top stories. Joining us this week, former communications director for the Indiana Democrats, Jennifer Wagner-Chartier, former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy, Oshia Boyd with the Indianapolis Recorder, and UIndy political science professor Dr. Laura Wilson. Jennifer, I'll start with you looking ahead to this coming Tuesday at the State House. We mentioned it off the top. Lawmakers will be back at the State House, likely to override the governor's veto on the transgender sports bill. Most expect that's what will happen. It's not looking likely that the governor will call for an additional special session while lawmakers are back to deal with the gas tax, as some state Democrats have suggested. Well, I think it shows you where our priorities are in this state when we're not willing to help people at the pump, but we're totally willing to continue to discriminate against transgender kids. Uh, reminder, these are kids uh, who just want to play sports and we're going to, you know, come back and send the message to them that lawmakers don't care about them or their families and that they're completely willing to uh, cast their needs aside. Mike, what's your response to that? What do you expect to see from lawmakers on Tuesday? Well, I think exactly what you said. Um, first of all, I think we're doing, you know, the exact right thing by not lowering the gas tax. You know, we're the envy of the nation because of our great uh, surplus. But you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't just jump at every shiny bobble you see. And I think it's, you know, Holcomb and the legislature have been very judicious, and I think they're doing the right thing. So, um, and plus, they're feeling their oats right now. They've had some big wins against the governor, and um, they're going to they're gonna continue to. State lawmakers to, have yeah. kind of challenged him on a number of yeah, issues. Yeah, a number of yeah. things. Yeah. And I think, of course, I also think the governor knew they were going to override him, so that gave him the yeah. comfort to do the veto. To, yeah, yeah. It makes him look good in the corporate right. community. All right, let's uh, change topics now and uh, turn to the deadly shooting in Buffalo with new calls this week to crack down on gun violence and hate speech coming from, among others, the deputy chief of Indianapolis Metro Police. Let's have a universal, universal definition on what hate is. And when we see that, let's not allow that to spread on our platforms. The concept, very words, hate speech are ambiguous. Right. It's a flexible idea. And certainly what one person's idea of what might be hate speech might be different from another's and might still be different from what government considers hate speech. All right. Let's bring in Oshia Boyd from the Indianapolis Recorder right now and Dr. Laura Wilson. Oshia, where where do we draw this line on, on hate speech and, and dangerous rhetoric that, that may have inspired this shooting in a time where we've sadly seen this kind of thing happen far too often? Well, I think when we say hate speech, it's kind of a euphemism here. This is anti-Black rhetoric. Um, it, it was very, very clearly directed toward Black people. Um, and I think we need to be honest in this country and um, actually call a thing a thing and say what we're talking about. And we're talking about anti-Blackness. He killed Black people. And seemed to target them. Yeah. Targeted Black people. Certainly, uh, the, the rhetoric uh, that's been blamed for this has certainly uh, led to a new conversation on this topic. But, Laura, it's a, a complicated question for, for public officials to tackle in, in terms of uh, the, the boundaries of, of free speech and, and hate speech and dangerous rhetoric like we saw here. I think these are a lot of subjective uh, questions. And at the end of the day, this is a cultural crisis. We can address it through legislation, but we'd be uh, delusional if we thought that was going to be the end all be all. You saw in Congress this week that the House passed the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act, um, but it looks like it's going to be really tight whether or not that goes through the Senate being divided 50 50. I think we have to consider what, what we value as free speech and also where the limitations are. Adding into that, of course, just the ability through social media and, and other outlets, how 
easy it is for people to share information and how easy it is for them to be influenced by it as well. Is this more of a question for the social media platforms themselves? We saw the administration try and look into the problems posed by disinformation. They ran into a lot of opposition from people who didn't trust the government to decide what is and isn't disinformation uh, right now. Yeah, um, I think, yes, it is a matter of social media. It's a matter of what's out there as, as disinformation, misinformation. Um, and I agree with Laura. This is something that we have to come together as a society to address because, you know, we have these people out there who are spreading these messages of hate, of anti-blackness, and they are resonating and, and, and we are seeing a replication of these, these acts of violence. And if we don't come together as a community and a society and say, hey, what do we need to do to stop this? It's going to keep happening. The social media platforms themselves are under a lot of scrutiny. Of course, there's the potential sale of Twitter that may be on hold right now. But Mike, we mentioned earlier Liz Cheney's comments directly calling out leaders in your party for, in her words, embracing white nationalism. What's your response well, to that? She, she's right, first of all. But to get to the larger issue, you have to be very careful about free speech. First of all, the social media companies are private companies, okay? So I don't think the Congress or anybody has any business telling them what they can have on their, on their social media networks. I mean, that's going to be, continue to be debated. But when it comes to, to the First Amendment free speech, again, if somebody is, is hateful and somebody says, incite somebody by saying kill black people or kill Jews or kill Latinos, they should be charged as an accessory to a crime. That's all there is to it. I don't care if it's Donald Trump, Tucker Carlson, or who it is. We, we have all kinds of people spewing terrible things. But you have to be very careful about limiting uh, free speech. I mean, we've had horrible things said about each other uh, in the political realm, in the business realm, for 200 and some years. It's getting worse because I think economic pressures are tough on people. I think people are feeling the... the the, uh, what do you want to call it, the dissocialization, so to speak, of the social media. People are more isolated and they feel more comfortable spewing things yeah. when they don't have to uh, be accountable to yeah. anybody. Oshia, it's obviously a midterm election year. Two Republicans are trying to set the tone for what they hope will, will be a big year. A lot of these primaries we're seeing will help shape exactly what kind of tone the party takes moving forward, what kind of candidates that they want to see in office. Meantime, Democrats also trying to set the tone for the coming year, which which they feel could also be defined by whatever the whatever decision the Supreme Court makes here on abortion. Yes, I think this issue is, well, we know it's a polarizing issue. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think Democrats on the one hand are kind of hoping and, and uh, plan to use this to, to gain momentum to have people come out to vote if, uh, if, if the Supreme Court goes the way everyone thinks it will. So I think that's kind of the idea here is that, okay, if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, then we can maybe use that as momentum. But I think there need, we need more. We, we need more than just Roe v. Wade. We need Democrats to actually say something, do something, and show us what they really are about versus just we're anti-Republican. And I think that's that right now. Yeah. L Laura, your thoughts on the primaries we saw this past week, uh, the impact of those primaries and also the approach, the tone both parties might take this year in the midst of these uh, very contentious questions on some pretty divisive social issues. There are and not just divisive social issues, but obviously pressing economic issues. When you talk about gas and inflation, um, questions about what we're doing economically internationally right now, I think it's surprising that um, there are so many hot button issues because it's congressional midterm. So usually people aren't as excited 
to participate. And we've seen a lot of extreme polarization and certainly that's manifest in the primaries, but we'll find out how it plays out in November. I think the biggest thing, and O'Shea kind of talked about this, is the voter turnout. I, regardless of who you are, you are impacted by these different issues at some level and in some way. And what I hope is that people are either excited or angry, but they're paying attention and this motivates them to get out to the polls in the general election. Just about everybody, the president's Congress's approval ratings all kind of at all time lows these days. Well, coming up next, Congress looking into unidentified flying objects with an Indiana lawmaker leading that discussion. We'll hear from him coming up next. Unidentified aerial phenomena are a potential national security threat and they need to be treated that way. Congress held its first hearing in 50 years on the threats posed by unidentified flying objects. As you saw there, it was chaired by Indiana Congressman Andre Carson. Pentagon officials testified saying these aerial phenomena are a potential national security threat. A report released last year looked at nearly 150 reports of mysterious objects flying through restricted military airspace with some concern that foreign adversaries like Russia or China may be sending new technology into our airspace. For far too long, this issue wasn't taken very seriously, and it was pretty much pushed aside and, and re relegated to science fiction. Congressman Carson in an interview this week. All right, stick around. We're back to wrap things up with this week's winners and losers next. All right, let's wrap things up with this week's winners and losers. Oshie, I'll start with you. Yes, this week, I don't really know if we have any winners for me. Um, at this point, I'm really feeling... Um, this country, I feel we're at a loss in this country with the Buffalo mass shooting. So that's where I'm at right now. My mind is, is really focused on that. Just a horrendous situation there. Laura? I agree there's a lot of tragedy, but I will say a silver lining or perhaps golden arch is the fact that McDonald's announced it will be taking out uh, itself out of the Russian market and um, all 850 of its restaurants. And certainly a lot of pl important political implications there, but we know that money talks. Mike? I'd say I have two winners this week. The first is Phil Terry, a trusted CEO in town, has been named interim president of University of Indianapolis. And Lori, he'll be doing your job interview next week, so be, be ready. And the other winner, every year I name them as a winner, is Doug Bowles, yeah. the Speedway. They every year do the best of date one day event in the world. Yeah. They're going to do it again next week. All right, Jennifer. Uh, I'm going to ignore politics and just keep it personal. Um, I just want to wish a happy birthday, 10th birthday, my son for last Friday. And my daughter graduates from eighth grade this week. Some big news in your house there. All right. Thank you so much to our panel. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you again next weekend.